please be seated. Have you ever heard a single sentence that changed your life? A single sentence that in a moment changed everything for you, flipped everything on its head, altered your whole world, and transformed you. Maybe it was good celebratory news like, it's a baby girl, or you got the job. Maybe something tragic, this cancer is terminal, or I don't love you anymore. Maybe just a a word of wisdom, something that someone said that made everything that had been happening in your life just click and make sense all of a sudden. Single sentence that just changes everything. In our reading in Jonah, we come and witness Jonah, the preacher, the reluctant prophet, going into Nineveh, the city he hated, and with one single sentence changing everything, with just five words. In the Hebrew, our English has more words, but Hebrew is a more concise language than English. So just five words, Jonah, his message changes everything for the Ninevites. Five words that announce their destruction that pronounces doom for them. It's not a positive message, not one they would have enjoyed hearing. But in five words, a whole city was transformed. With the conciseness of this message, I initially wondered in studying this passage if Jonah is just giving his half-hearted attempt at doing what he's told to do. And, you know, we know that he's reluctant to do this. We know that he does not want to go to Nineveh and proclaim God's message. Uh, you know, so is he just giving a half-hearted attempt, doing the bare minimum of, of what he needs to do? Pronouncing the doom and destruction of Nineveh, which I'm sure he enjoyed, but forgetting about the grace, the love of God. But we're actually told in, in the text, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, that this is God's message. God tells Jonah to go and call out against Nineveh the message that I tell you. This was God's design. This was God's intention working through Jonah with just five words to speak to them, knowing that it would be enough to transform them. Perhaps God knew that the time was exactly right culturally. Maybe the things that had been going on in Nineveh had set all the factors in place for them to hear and to receive this message at the right time. Maybe the Spirit of God had gone ahead of Jonah, stirring the hearts of the Ninevites to prepare them, to make them ready to hear and to receive and to respond quickly. But either way, the sovereign God only gave Jonah five words to speak. And Jonah only gets a third of the way through his journey in the city before it spreads like wildfire. And the whole city is overturned in an instant. Five words. You know, I wondered if it would be possible for me to get up here in front of you today and just preach a five-word sermon and then be done. But uh, unfortunately for you, I'm not skillful enough for that, and you all aren't as lucky today. (laughs) But it's worth us examining why these five words had such profound impact. And to do that, let's look at our text here. And if you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, we'll take a look at God's word. As we start in chapter 3, 
it, it's pretty clear that this is a, a reboot for Jonah, a fresh start. He's gone into the belly of the whale, into the pit of death itself, and has, has called out to God, and God has given him a second chance, a second opportunity. And we read in, in your Bibles, and the Pew Bibles is actually all on one page, so it's easy to see. If you look at chapter 1 and chapter 3, the first few verses of both of those are parallel to each other. They're almost saying the exact same thing. Chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And then Jonah rose and fleed, fled to Tarshish. Chapter 3, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you this time, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. There's these parallel paths of, of verses that we're on. There's a parallelism here that's showing the divergence that Jonah takes. In one direction, he's choosing to disobey, to rebel against God's message. Here in chapter 3, he's choosing the exact opposite direction of following after God, of obeying, and of going into Nineveh. But it's interesting to see that parallel that diverges with one choice. This is a fresh start for Jonah, an opportunity to choose for God where previously he had chosen rebellion. And he had seen exactly where that path of rebellion had led him. He saw the end of that path, and it ended in death. It ended in despair. It ended in the belly of a whale. And not many of us have the blessing of seeing the end of the paths that our choices will take us on. Not many of us have seen the, the, the paths, the fullness of the paths that our rebellion will take us to. But God, in his mercy, gives us more opportunities to respond. And his patient mercy gives us opportunities to say yes, where previously we had said no. But those opportunities are limited for us. But here we see Jonah finally saying yes to God where he had said no before. He preaches God's message, these five words that God gave him to say. He preaches them to the Ninevites and to what I'm sure was his immense surprise and, and reluctance. The Ninevites respond. The Ninevites uh, repent and call for a fast and dress themselves in sackcloth and ashes. That's a sign of their repentance. And they turn to God. And it's just that this one message that Jonah gives, very simple, a message of destruction and doom. So what was it about this that was so powerful? What were in these five words in the Hebrew that struck them to their core. This message of fire and brimstone, of doom and gloom, of saying, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's not a message that they would have enjoyed hearing, but they responded. They turned. We often hear fire and brimstone, doom and gloom messages, and we tend to scoff or to turn away or to ignore them and say, that is, those are the fundamentalists. That's not us. That's them. The fundamentalists, the hateful people, the bigoted people. We think of the Westboro Baptist Church and picketing funerals with the resounding message that God hates and God will destroy. 
And we see them and we say, that's not the gospel. That's not the message of God. It's that God loves. God desires to save. And the truth is that it's both. Because what we often miss, what I think Westboro Baptist folks miss, is that in these messages of, of doom and destruction is actually a call to repentance. Implied in this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, implied is a unless you repent, unless you turn to God. And I think we often miss that call to repentance. And in the call to repentance, we often miss the good news about what we're being called to. Because it's about turning away from destruction and turning toward the salvation we have in Christ. So I think God would have us to explore this idea of repentance this morning. What is God saying to us and how would he have us reframe our ideas about repentance? So what is repentance? Fundamentally, essentially, it is about turning. It's a, it's a word that has emotion attached to it, about turning in one direction. Turning away from something and toward something else. Walking away from one thing in order to walk towards something else. A letting go and a receiving. And recognizing that we're talking about mutually exclusive things. You cannot be facing one direction and also facing the other direction. There has to be a turn. This is about switching allegiances, saying that Jesus is Lord and all these other idols and gods and priorities are not. Repentance is about choosing between preferences, choosing between an iPhone or an Android or apples and oranges. This is about choosing between life and death, of turning away from death and sin and destruction and turning toward the God who is our life. If God is the only one who can satisfy us, the only one who can bring us peace, the only one who brings us into eternal life, then this turning should be for us an act of joy, an act of blessing, an act of receiving God's salvation. It's not doom and gloom, but it is good news for us to turn toward God. It's not something for us to shrink away from or to fortify our spiritual shells against. But this is the greatest joy of our lives to turn towards the one who is our life, who is our salvation, who is our hope. It's not doom and gloom. It's good news. Because good news is what is proclaimed in order to save you. This building is on fire is really good news to those who are inside of it. But more than turning away from the negative, it's turning toward that which are, is our life, our joy, our perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It means coming to him on his terms, not our terms. So often we try to turn to Jesus and say, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to give my life to you in the ways that I want to. But that's still holding on to the things uh, that are idols, that are, are other gods that we're saying are more important than Jesus. And I will be the first to admit, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that repentance is often difficult. It's often painful and unpleasant because it's saying that my life is not my own to decide. 
and to control and to direct. It belongs now to Jesus. That these things that I hold on to so dearly, my passions, my desires, my ambitions, my, my desire for control, my desire for success, my desire for, uh, for entertainment, I have to let go of those things in order to turn to Jesus. Repentance is something that is needed for us day by day. It's a Christian discipline that is necessary for us to turn to Jesus so that we can let go of the other things that will only lead to our death. In our confession, we confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed, things that we've done and left undone. There's constantly a need for us to be making that turn. We need to make a turn of repentance for specific sins, for specific choices that we've made in rebellion against God. We need to make that turn to Jesus in long-held habits and patterns and lifestyles and worldviews that are against the way of Christ. We need to turn to Jesus in the daily repenting of our sins and falling short of the glory of God. I think we see all of that in our, in our little short passage here. We see Jonah repenting from one specific decision. He's repenting from the decision he made to say no to God. And instead he's saying yes to God. We see the Ninevites repenting from their long-held patterns and lifestyle and worldview that was against the way of Christ and of God. A much deeper conversion because it affects every single thing about them. For us as Christians, it's necessary to have the discipline of repentance because daily we do fall short of the glory of God and we need to turn for more of Jesus. Repentance is necessary because what we really need is more of Jesus. And sometimes we need a stark reminder, sometimes a harsh reminder of what is our good that you and I were made for more than this world can ever offer to us. We were made for the kingdom of heaven and eternal joy as we live with Christ. These kind of calls for us are a signpost that we are heading in the wrong direction, that we're careening off a cliff, and God in his loving mercy says, Stop! Turn around! Come to me! Because God loves you more than the whole universe. And he longs for you. He's desperate for you to turn toward your good. Which is only found in him. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. To enable you to make that turn. To come and receive his loving forgiveness. A professor of mine in seminary would say to us often as we were coming up to Lent. If your repentance doesn't bring you joy, you're doing it wrong. If your repentance doesn't bring you joy, you're doing it wrong. Because repentance is about turning to Jesus. And being able to receive more of Jesus, who is our only hope, our only peace, our only life. Hear the call to repent. And hear this as good news for you. Because God loves you. And this is good news because it's how we receive the forgiveness of God. 
We're in this series on Jonah, and we're saying that this whole book is about the unrelenting, unlimited, far beyond our capacity to understand forgiveness of God. And we need to understand how repentance engages with that. Because God has done everything necessary for us, but we are called to repent in order to receive that. Because God's offer of forgiveness is not conditional upon our repentance. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. God's offer of forgiveness is not conditional upon your repentance. But rather, our repentance is the act of receiving his forgiveness. In our world, in our relational economy, we tend to want to withhold our forgiveness until we see genuine, true repentance. If someone sins against me, I want them to stand in front of me, look me in the eye and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And then I, in my gracious mercy, will be happy to say to them, I forgive you. But I want to see that repentance first. God, in his mercy, does not work that way. Hallelujah. He is always holding out his forgiveness to us, his free gift of life and salvation and what he has done through Christ's atoning work on the cross. And he only asks us to turn and receive it and believe in the good news about what he has done. We say, repent and then I will forgive you. God says, repent because I have forgiven you. It's so important for us to know and to state to ourselves again and again that in the economy of the kingdom of God, Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation. His work on the cross has accomplished and won our salvation and freedom from the slavery of death. All that is required of us is to repent and believe and receive that salvation. But grace always comes before our repentance. Grace always precedes our response to it. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead us into repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, not the other way around. The message of the gospel is never repent so that God will love you more. It's always God loves you, so repent. This is the central message of Jesus that we read in our gospel this morning. When he comes as an itinerant preacher into a city just like Jonah and comes with a very simple message, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe the good news. That good news is that the kingdom of God is here in Jesus. All that we can do is repent and believe. This is why our posture as Christians always has to be one of simply receiving from God with open hands. When uh, Stephanie and I were teaching our son Samuel how to receive communion when he was about two, uh, we taught him to, how to stand in line and wait as he goes forward and hold out his hands like this. And he thought this was a really cool motion, so he called this his communion hands. And so he would come home and he'd come up to us and say, communion hands. And it was adorable but really, and really cute. But the point is actually, I think, 
really profound that as we come to the table and receive from God, this is our posture. Because when we come and receive God's gifts of eternal life and the bread and wine that are his body and blood, all we can do is receive. All we can do is receive. There's nothing else you can do because it's been done for you, the work of salvation. All you do is receive. Just to be clear, uh, no one cares if you hold out your hands in a particular way going to communion. It's not about doing it a right way or a wrong way. But for some of us, it might be helpful for the posture of our bodies to lead the posture of our hearts. And sometimes it's helpful for us to have physical movements that can help our hearts to be oriented in that direction. But in order to have your hands open to receive from God, they must let go of the other things that they've been holding on to. Because repentance is the act of letting go of sin, of idols, of of going away from God, rebelling against him, and turning toward God so that we can have our hands open to receive. This is what it means to be a Christian. To receive the life that Jesus is constantly holding out to you. Repent. Believe. Receive. This is the whole pattern of the Christian life. When we hear a message like this. When we hear a message of doom and gloom and destruction. We need to learn to see this and read this with Christian eyes. And to hear the call of repentance and to hear the good news that is in that. Because repentance is for our good and it is our joy. Because it's about receiving more of Jesus. Saying yes to him while saying no to all these lesser things. All these things that will only lead to our destruction and death. It's about seeing more of Jesus and becoming more enamored with his glory, with his blessing, with his mercy, with the life that he gives to us and the work that he's done for us. Being in awe of him so that all other things pale in comparison to his glory, his beauty, and his life. When it comes down to it, what kind of a choice is that? To choose between death and destruction and life abundant life that Jesus holds out to you freely as a gift because he loves you. Sometimes we need a drastic reminder of this call that all we can do is repent and that's all God needs you to do is to repent and believe and receive. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would stir in us hearts that are ready to hear that message that so even five words could change everything for us as we hear Jesus our Lord coming to us and preaching repent believe the good news let's pray Jesus I pray that you would make us a people who want more of you who see with clear eyes, with new eyes, with transformed eyes, what you have done for us and what the world and the flesh and the devil are trying to do to us. I pray that you would place in us a hunger, a desire for more of you. 
and with hearts and hands that are open and ready to receive your life. Amen.